So we've, as uh, you've heard repeated numerous times, I'll repeat it again, we are doing this fall an 11-week series on the third chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, we're up to uh, the filet mignon of that. We're up to John uh, 3.16, which, uh, just so you know, we're going to park in this one verse uh, for at least four weeks, maybe longer. Um, because it's not just a verse that a guy with a rainbow wig uh, waves around behind home plate. I don't, of a certain age, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's probably good. Uh, and, uh, uh, but it's, it's essential for us to at least begin the process of plumbing a little bit of the depth of what uh, Jesus says uh, to Nicodemus here. So before I read this text, let me pray, and uh, we'll dive in this morning. Lord, uh, we are so distracted, so uh, scattered, uh, so uh, uh, tossed about. But in the middle of all that, you stand firm, as we've already sung, you're steadfast. You give rest to the weary, and you hold us. We need you to hold us right now so that we can hear and know uh, the eternal and essential truth that you are a giver, that you gave us your son, and that we have life in him. Help us with that today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I love, one of the things I love about living in a small town like Richmond is local commercials for local companies. Not the commercials that are made for Nike and that kind of stuff, but the local commercials that are made by local companies for local companies. And one of the things that I've noticed lately is you cannot turn on local TV anymore without seeing an ad for foundation repair, right? Or crawl space repair. They're everywhere, which must say something about your houses. And so uh, I, I laugh about that because uh, when we lived in Mississippi, we lived in Mississippi for four years, way back a million years ago, Every single house that we ever went into or walked in was cracked. So much so that it was like walking into the fun house, you know, at the fair. Literally, the floors, you would be walking in a house and think, I'm about to fall. And the reason why you were about to fall is because the floor sloped away. You see the, 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 um, those cartoons where people are sitting at a table eating their peas and the peas roll across their plate. That happened to us. Uh, Marty's sister lived in a house uh, that was like that, and literally, uh, the, we had to put stuff underneath the legs of the table on one side of the table to pick it up enough so that your food would stay on your plate because your soup would spill out of your bowl. It was that much. There was that much soup. And people there just lived with it. That's, that's a whole other story about Mississippi, but um, it was... Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty, pretty crazy to think about. This text uh, is a foundation. 
upon which everything else in your life, everything else in the world must be built upon. We don't think much about foundations until the foundation that we have built upon cracks. But what we have in this text and what we've seen as Jesus has interacted with Nicodemus is he is building towards a foundation uh, that is built by God, that is given by God, that is for him and for us. And without it, without it, as Jesus will go on to say, we're perishing. So it's so important for us to, to get this and to uh, uh, understand this. So what you have to understand about the context of this, you may have forgotten, last week we talked about that crazy passage where Jesus reminds Nicodemus about what happened there in the wilderness. God delivers his people. He brings them through the Red Sea. He gets them out into the wilderness. They don't like the food. They don't like the water. They don't like God. They don't like Moses. They don't like anything. They're just like us. They complain. And God in his mercy needs to jolt them out of their complaint. And so he sends these snakes into the camp. And then the people are bit by the snakes and, and many of them begin to die. And they cry out to God for deliverance. And God tells Moses that crazy thing to do where he says to him, make a snake out of bronze, stick it on a stick and hold it up. And anybody who looks at the snake will be saved. It doesn't keep them from being snake bit, but it delivers them once they have been snake bit. And so what we see in this text is God's response and the way in which he describes to us who he is, who we are, who Jesus is, and the essential thing that God has done for us in him to prevent our perishing. Next slide. So, uh, so just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You and I are snake bit. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, rebelled against their creator in the garden, what happened to them is what has happened to us, that through our veins courses the venom, the poison of sin and rebellion, of self-seeking, of being self-directed, of being autonomous, uh, uh, gods to ourselves. And as a result of that, the end of that is our perishing. The end of that is our death. And what we see about that is, is, is there's nothing that you or I can do about that. There's nothing that you or I can do to reorient that. And, and what's so funny about that is, unlike snake bites today, if you were to get bit by a snake, you would probably know it. But the venom that courses through our veins is something that we just live with and we don't pay that much mind to it. We don't think that much about it. And we're often, almost always, unaware of it until, hence, little things that begin to bother us tell us and show us that unless something changes, our end is death. 
And so what we have here in this text is Jesus expressing to Nicodemus to say to him that as he must be born again, that the Spirit must bring life to him. The way in which the Spirit brings life to him is opening Nicodemus and us up to the idea that, that we are snake bit and that God has provided a remedy to that snake bite in, in Jesus Christ. And so he says these immortal words. And what's important for us is, as we break this down over the next several weeks, is we're not going to give a comprehensive view on this. It would be uh, too much about that. But we're going to take uh, bit by bit as we go through this text over the next several weeks and make some direct applications and some direct encouragements and, and helps to us in our life. Now, the thing to note about this is, is that something that's totally countercultural that when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about his need, he doesn't begin with Nicodemus. He begins with God. He says, for God so loved the world, right? And, and it's important for us to, to think a little bit about that because the fact is, the, what, the thing that's most compelling to us, the thing that's most central to us, the thing that's most captivating to us is, of course, us. What else could there be, right? But what Jesus does is Jesus tells Nicodemus and us the very truth that actually the center of the universe, the center of life, the center of reality is not you or even your story. But it is the God who made you, the God who is the Redeemer, and the God who sees you in your need and responds with a gift. You know, it is so hard for us to think about that, right? We, we are so concerned about uh, ourselves, and, 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 and rightly so in some ways, because there's so much grief and difficulty and trauma in our lives and in the world. And so by, th by, by thinking that we must be about ourselves first and foremost and that God must bend himself somehow or other to my story first and foremost seems like that would be the smart way to go. But real life is actually found at the source. God is the source of life. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who created us. He is the one who redeemed us. And so this God that Jesus begins with is the God that is revealed in the Old Testament. It's the God that, that Jesus himself is, is uh, revealing. Next slide, please. Uh, and so what, what we have to see is that the world begins with God, and our lives are utterly dependent upon this God. This God that Jesus is talking about is the God who is revealed in the, New, in the Old Testament as creator, sustainer, deliverer. Redeemer, King. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God. And that central thought, that central reality, that organizing principle uh, is, is key for us. To really find uh, self, to really find yourself, to really find who you are, to really find fulfillment in life, you won't find it by looking inside. You won't even find it by, by uh, uh, forging your path in the world. You won't even find it by thinking that if I just can get this or achieve this or do this, 
then life will have meaning and purpose. No, the meaning and purpose for life is grounded in the being who loves you and who made you, who stamped his image upon you. I remember uh, years ago on the weekend when our first child died. Uh, Family gathered and, you know, that Saturday was uh, just, you know, in, in many ways, it was the worst of days, and it was the best of days. So much love, uh, so much uh, joy to be loved and to hope together, even as we grieved. Sunday morning came, and I just thought, you know, I just can't, I just can't get to church. And I got up that morning, made myself some coffee, and I was looking around the house, and my dad was gone. I didn't know where he went. Well, he went to church. And I remember when he came home, you know, my mom was like, where, Milton, where have you been? What have you been doing? You know, it's like, well, I had to go worship. Right, in the midst of the loss of his grandson. In the midst of, I knew he was worried about me. He was worried about Marty. Concerned for us. What did he have to do? Well, the fact is, you know, he wasn't the most educated guy. But he knew this. That life comes from the life giver. That life truly lived and enjoyed is centered around the God who made us, who loves us, and who is for us. And it was such a witness to me in the midst of that dark time to be reminded of, you know, he's right. That when hard things come and they come, when good things come and they come, That the center of life for us is not turning in on ourselves, but having our eyes opened and our ears opened and our hearts widened to see and to receive the source, the founder, the creator, the redeemer, the savior. And that real life will be found there, not in all of the places that we mistakenly seek that we can pursue and find it, right? So what do we know about this God that Jesus says, speaks to Nicodemus about? Well, this God wills, he speaks, he acts, and he feels, he delights, he loves, and he hates. I mean, one of the things that you have to see about this God is, you know, sometimes we, I don't know what your perspective, when you think of God, what kind of mental image conjures up in your mind. I don't know how you think about that. I know that for many of us, you know, kind of popularly in our, in our culture, we think of this kind of impersonal force for, for good or for ill or whatever. But the, the uh, overwhelming witness of the scripture to us is, is that our God is personal, that he is a person. And as such, he acts and behaves and, and loves and gives you know, we, um, I know that for generations now, one of the most popular things around has been uh, Star Wars, right? It's because it's a Western. Did you know that? Star Wars is a Western shootouts, good guys, bad guys. The bad guy, 
you know, he doesn't have a black cowboy hat, but he might as well. He's got a black thing, whatever that thing is on his head, and uh, he has a deep, terrible voice, and, uh, you know, the the good guys are kind of ragtag, very attractive, uh, you know, the kind of people that you want to hang out with, just like Elliot Gravitt, you know, that, that, <laughs> those... Those, 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 those kind of people. And I know this is such a big thing for us because I saw today on my Twitter feed that there was a bakery in uh, California just this week in honor of uh, Harrison Ford um, baked this cake. Actually, it was bread. It was a loaf of bread in the shape of Harrison Ford, you know, when he's frozen in that stuff. They called it pan solo, right? You know, anyway, eh, you know, I know it was... That was terrible. I thought it was funny, but uh, uh, God in, in, in that story is just kind of this force that's at work in the world. Listen, you and I don't need a force at work in the world. You and I don't need a force in our lives. We need a person who can love us who, as we've sung, can hold on to us, who can lead us and provide for us and ultimately die and rise again for us. And so what, we, what, what you see in this, this story that, that, that Jesus is weaving here before Nicodemus is he's doing so much to kind of redirect Nicodemus's life. You know, that uh, you, Nicodemus, you've thought that your life was about this one thing, about doing these things and being this kind of person. I am here to tell you that your life is so much richer, so much more dynamic, so much bigger than that. It is bound up in the eternal heart of the creator, the redeemer, the king of the universe. And what is so amazing about this God who wills and speaks and acts and feels, who delights, who, who loves uh, and uh, who hates. Next slide, please, Brian, is that he is mindful of us. He thinks on us. He feels for us. He sees us. He understands us. He's passionate for us. And he seeks us. Every Christmas, you know, we, uh, we read that portion from the Belgic Confession that talks about our first parents fleeing from God and hiding from him and making uh, lame uh, fig leaf uh, coverings for their shame and them trembling all over, God comes to them, provides clothing for them, and provides for them something even greater, the promise of a deliverer. Because you see, what happens to us is, and the image that you can carry around is, that this perishing that we are experiencing, this, this venom that is running uh, through our lives, even though we may think we are on track and we know where we're going and what we're doing and what life holds for us, the fact of the matter is we're lost. And we cannot save or find ourselves. Yesterday I went and uh, tromped around in some woods uh, and uh, as I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more in touch with my um, rural roots. And so last year, I 
splurged and spent a god-awful amount of money on a pair of Carhartt overalls. I used to wear overalls. I used to wear them to school. In fact, my mom hid my overalls the day I got inducted into the National Honor Society in high school because she was afraid I was going to wear my overalls in front of everybody, and she would be embarrassed. Boy, she would have been embarrassed yesterday. Anyway, I put on my Carhartt overalls, and I stuffed all this stuff in my pockets. Last year, my son, who's a captain in the Army, uh, had one of his sergeants make for him, for me, for Christmas, a handmade knife. You see those crazy shows on like the Learning Channel where these guys are like forging knives and, you know, the really weird people that do that stuff. Well, his sergeant's one of these really weird dudes that makes knives and it's this big knife. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take that with me. Well, one of the things I found out about my Carhartt overalls is pockets aren't very deep. And when you go through briars, lots of briars, lots of weeds, things fall out of your pocket. I got to where I was going and I was doing some work and I thought I need my knife and I reached in my pocket and the knife was not there. I will say that my first thought at that moment was to turn to God and blame him for (laughs) why, why I had lost the knife. And so I thought, well, I'll finish here and I'll retrace my steps and I'll find it. So I finished what I was doing. I retraced my steps through the woods, and I didn't find the knife. So I got back to my truck, put my stuff there, and I thought, well, you know, it'll frost in a few days, and the weeds will die down, and I'll be able to come back and find my knife. And I thought, you know, my son loves me. I love him. And this knife, it's just a knife, I'm going to go back and retrace my steps again. And I went back, and I retraced my steps, and I found it. It was lost. It would have rusted, faded away there in the dirt. But because of love, I went back again to look for it, to find it. You see, that's the thing that we see here and what Jesus is describing to Nicodemus is that the love of God is so great that he will not only allow us to remain perishing, he will not allow us to remain lost. And then secondly, we need to move along here. The the thing that, that Jesus tells us is that God has an only begotten son, a unique son. The Nicene Creed tells us this, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the unique Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial of the same stuff with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. So what we know at the very heart of God is that he sees our need and he gives that which is most precious to deliver us, to give us life. The Son, 
The son that had existed in a, in a perfect, loving relationship with the father from eternity past. He gives. You may be here today thinking that God is a taker. You may be here today counting your losses, and for many of us, they are many. And in the midst of our losses, we are tempted to believe that God only takes, that God only demands, that God only requires. But when Jesus Christ looks in love to the heart of Nicodemus and to your heart and to my heart today, the thing that he wants us to know about this God first and foremost is that he is a giver. Generous, lavish, profound in his heart to give to us what we cannot give or do for ourselves. John Calvin wrote of this text that men and women, boys and girls, are not easily convinced that God loves them. Especially in the truest, deepest, most sacrificial sense. So to remove all doubt, to remove all doubt, he gives that which is most precious for us. Don't ever fall into the trap of thinking that this God doesn't see you, doesn't know your pain, doesn't know your secret sins, doesn't know your secret and outward rebellion, and yet his heart to you, his heart to us is a heart of giving. As we come to the table today, one of the things that we have the opportunity to do is to receive from uh, our Father, receive from this Jesus, his gifts to us, these tangible things that we can hold and taste and see and eat to remind us that the things we've been talking about, that the love of God is not some kind of theological fiction or just some way that we talk, but actually in time and in space, the Son took on flesh, took on life, took on sin, took on death. It killed him so that it would not kill us and rose again in newness of life. Hear these words of institution of the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And we're going to do something unique this morning for our confession of sin. 
I will read to you these verses uh, based on uh, 1 Corinthians 13, a great chapter on love. Uh, after I read to you each verse, uh, you have the opportunity quietly, silently to ask yourself uh, these questions that are here uh, uh, in uh, parentheses. This may take us a moment to work uh, through this confession of sin, uh, but um, confession never killed anybody. It's a, it's a good exercise for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not possessive. Love is not boastful or proud. Love is courteous. Love is not selfish. Love is not irritable or bitter. Love delights in truth and righteousness. Brothers and sisters, let's uh, declare uh, these words of encouragement from 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as we've read on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it. Uh, to his followers. We do this every week, eat this bread and drink this cup. We walk forward while we are singing and we hear words of grace and the gospel from our elders and we go back and we eat and we drink and these tangible things, these tangible tokens to us of the love of God that entered into time and space in the person of Jesus Christ who did for us who continues to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is our hope. That is, after all, what followers of Christ are, what we profess, and what sets us apart. The love of God given to us in Jesus Christ. How humbling how invigorating, how thrilling, how good is it to know that come what may, the love of God to you in Jesus Christ is a gift that can never be rescinded.
that is your hope and that is your profession. You have professed that to a body of believers somewhere, even if today you've forgotten the love of God for you. Even if this week it seemed like other things were more central to your life than this God who made you and redeemed you. He invites you today to come, to taste, to hold, and to, and to be re-reminded once again that the central fact of your life is not your gifts, not your struggles, not your sin, but the love of God manifests to you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you profess that to a body believer somewhere, he says, I got a place at my table for you. Come and taste the goodness of the Lord. Uh, as the elders come down front uh, to assist me today, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. Uh, the inner rings are grape juice. Um, underneath each cup is a gluten-free wafer. Uh, once everyone has been served, we will eat and drink together. And as you saw earlier in the service, uh, Harrison Hahn uh, was um, presented as a member. Today, uh, he will uh, receive communion as a communing member of the church for the first time. And so the Hahn family uh, will come up first and lead us uh, in taking the sacrament today.